Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Hey there, Audrey Brogy here, and I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to talk to you on this podcast. And I am going to start a new series today um, on homeschooling. And um, even if you're not homeschooling, I think you'll find this series very helpful to you because of a lot of the biblical principles that I will cover that will uh, help you no matter where you are in your season of life or what educational methods you have decided for your children. Um, So this is not a wasted podcast at all if you're not homeschooling. I want you to be encouraged. And everything I do, um, I try to center it around the Word of God, even if sometimes I'm expressing my opinions, um, you know, which I don't want to just express opinions, but the opinions that I do have, um, I will say this is not necessarily thus saith the Lord, but this is the conclusion I have come to based on what I do know about the Lord and and how I want to walk in wisdom with Him. And, um, and I wanted to do this particular podcast because we just finished today a homeschool uh, weekend at our church. And, um, and I want to read to you what uh, the promo for that um, that said, the public education system has increasingly become a means of delivering a variety of ideologies that are not only morally destructive, but which are factually incorrect, whether it be a distorted view of history, a slant on science that excludes established facts that disprove a universe that is millions of years old, the sexualization of children as young as five, or even math that says two plus two equals five is okay. The pandemic of the last two years has proven that millions of parents who thought they couldn't teach their children at home actually did, and did so quite well. This year, our home education seminar offered more information than ever before, and I'm reading this now in the past tense since uh, it's over now. Um, So on Thursday, June 9th, um, was the introduction to homeschooling, um, and it was intended for families that have never before homeschooled. My husband, Dr. Brogy, covered the reasons to home educate, along with laws and regulations relating to homeschooling. And then last night, which was Friday, June the 10th, um, I uh, shared a message that I called Refreshing Your Perspective, and it was aimed towards moms who are already homeschooling because because I did it for so many years, um, I know that I needed to be encouraged, and I wanted to encourage women who are already in the throes of homeschooling, and uh, and I really wanted to help them have a renewed perspective so that they could um, even more uh, trust God, even when it 
at times it's just very hard and it is hard and you self-doubt and you wonder if you're going to mess up your kids or how you're going to do all this and it, it feels like such a huge responsibility on your shoulders but so many of us and when women who are like me they've looked around at the options out there and they um I and they think I don't want my kids indoctrinated in the public school system even though I suppose in the beginning maybe the public education meant well and I mean, I went through all of public education and public college and all those things. But as our culture has drifted further and further and further away from the Judeo-Christian ethic, it's reflected now in our schools and it's um, coming down as, you know, into the younger grades in terms of all the things that are being uh, taught now. And I know that a lot of parents will sometimes um, be in denial about that and think it's not going to affect their kids or they have a, a misconception that oh, my child can be a, a light and a, a salt and light in the school system. But really, you know, our children um, are not missionaries. They're mission fields. And, um, and God has given us as parents the responsibility to train them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the sad thing is, and we all know this is true, as our culture has drifted away from the Lord, and as our government has drifted away from the Lord, and now the government controls the educational system, that little by little, all these things that, that we have held dear as believers, and even God-fearing people who may not be Christians, but they're God-fearing, all of that has been, is being, has been being chipped away, and now there's a whole indoctrination that is taking place toward children, um, which is really sad, because the evil one knows. He knows how to get um, to the next generation. He's, he understands that we need to get the hearts and minds of little children. And so, you know, we as parents and as grown-ups and believers can, can become very distracted in living our own lives and doing what we want to do rather than really focusing on what the Lord would have us do as it concerns our children. Now, I want to start this, and when I say it's a series, um, I, I plan to have my uh, daughter, Grace Anna, and my daughters-in-law, Kessid and Maureen. I'm going to do an episode each with them because they've all homeschooled, and, um, and I want to get their perspectives of, of um, how they came to that decision and how it's been beneficial to them, what they've seen the results of it with their children, and, uh, and even how they decided whether to use co-ops or, um, you know, the um, different schools that sometimes they're, they're, they're helping hands to homeschoolers where they have um, classes two days a week or there's online academies for homeschoolers. All the options that are available today to help parents in this journey of educating their children, which, by the way, were not available when I started homeschooling my children. So I want to begin this series with my journey of, of how we started homeschooling, because back when I started, people looked at you weird. I mean, it was kind of a weird thing to do. No one was really homeschooling, or the, the few that were were seen as fringers or weirdos. And um, But I, I'll tell you, when my first baby was born in 1981, the end of the year, 1981, and when he was about six months old, um, he was having tummy time in our um, 
in our home. Carl was at work and I was at home with him. And I was doing, I don't remember exactly what I was doing in the kitchen. I was probably preparing dinner or whatever. But um, I had the radio on, the Christian radio station, and I was listening to focus on the family. And Dr. Dobson, that particular day had a man by the name of Dr. Raymond Moore. And I believe his wife was on that broadcast as well. I can't really remember, but her name is Dorothy and they are educators. They were professional educators. And they um, now sometimes people call them the um, grandfather, you know, grandma and granddaddy of home education. Um, But they were talking about that that day. And I remember thinking to myself, this sounds so interesting. Um, I should look into that. And they were talking about a book that they had written called Homestyle Teaching. But I did not look into it. I looked at my little baby on the floor and I was thinking, oh, it'll be so long before I have to make any decisions about where he will go to school or what I will do for his education. And of course, that's the way you think when you're really young and you think it's going to be so long before you even have to make decisions about school, but it creeps up so quickly. Well, by the time he did, uh, he was five and we had moved to Texas I had had another baby by that time, and then uh, when we moved to Texas, I was pregnant with our third child. Um, And then by the time um, Jeremy, my oldest, reached um, kindergarten age, I'd never even thought about homeschooling again. It was just like, whoop, it went in one one ear and out the other, and I never really thought about it. I never got the book. I never did anything about it. In fact, I didn't really think about it again. And um, But there was a wonderful Christian school that we decided that we would send our son to, and we loved the school. We looked into it. We talked about, I mean, talked to people who had sent their children there. It had a wonderful reputation. And I love good Christian schools because they're a partner. They um, they come alongside and they have you, you share the same biblical worldview and you're not worried about indoctrination. Sure, there are issues you have to deal with in terms of peers and things like that, but you're not having to fight against an indoctrination that's taking place on the minds and hearts of your children. And we were very happy with the school that year. And um, I mean, there were things that... You know, as a mom, you start seeing little personality things or um, just stuff that you hadn't dealt with before. And there were a few things that were happening that year in terms of peers and attitudes, but nothing major. But it was enough to make me think, well, I'm just going to pray even harder. I'm going to be more involved. I'm going to be more involved in, you know, and in, in helping him when he comes home. And, you know, in terms of the camaraderie that he always had shared with his brother, who was his best friend and and so I thought I'm just going to try to work through some of those things and be more on top of it before he goes back you know for first grade and we went ahead and enrolled him and his brother because our second son um even though there, there wasn't quite two years between them but, but but because of how their birthdays fell we would be putting him um in kindergarten the following year so we enrolled them and fully expected them to go back to the Christian school and let me say this Uh, Carl and I had decided early on that we were not going to have our kids go to public school, even though we had both gone to public school. But at that time, and again, this was in the 80s, we were beginning to see that even then um, the public schools were not what we wanted for our children. And we decided we would sacrifice, we would scrape every penny together, we would do anything we had to do to make sure that our children um, were in a Christian school. And so that's what we did. Now, that summer between 
kindergarten and first grade for our oldest son, um, I used to take my children to the library, all the libraries, um, but our church had a wonderful library as well. And, and one day I walked into our church's library to check out some books for my children. But on the librarian's desk was this book just laying there, and the name of the book was Homestyle Teaching by Dr. Raymond Moore. And as soon as I saw it, I remembered all those years before when I had heard that radio broadcast. And I thought, I need to check out that book. So I said to the librarian, can I check that book out? And she <laughs> she said, sure, I just keep meaning to reshelve that. I just keep forgetting. And of course, I knew from that moment that the reason she had kept forgetting to reshelve that book, now I know, is because I needed to read it. So I checked it out and I spent the summer reading it, you know, when I took my children to swimming lessons, when sometimes I was out in the yard while they were playing, I would have that book and I would read it. And as I was reading it, it was like that epiphany type moment. There were just things that he was saying that I thought, yes, yes, it was just ringing true for me. And I remember taking taking the book and to my husband, and he was in the middle of uh, um, seminary classes, because that's why we moved to Texas for him to go to seminary. But I would say, would you read this chapter? Would you read this sentence? Tell me what you think. And, um, and I was already feeling my heart beating out of my chest at different times thinking, I think I can do this. I want to homeschool. But I didn't know, I had no idea what my husband would think. But when he read some of those, he said, we need to homeschool. Now, we'd already enrolled the children for the non-refund, with the non-refundable um, fee, but we called the school and we um, just took them out, and they did refund the money. We didn't ask them to, but they did, because they were very positive about homeschooling, even though hardly anyone was doing it at the time. And they they even offered, like, if, if, if they could help us or do anything, you know, that would encourage us, which I thought was wonderful at, um, at that particular time. And I really didn't know what I was doing when we made this decision to homeschool. Um, I was pregnant with our fourth child who would be born in August, about the same time that we'd be starting our school year. And because I had read the book, I also read that they, um, that Dr. Moore had uh, what was called the Moore Foundation, where you could register your children through that, and they would um, send you curriculum. And I, you know, that was the fee we paid. And I got the home education manual, and I got uh, all the books that I needed for the year. And I set up, you know, these two little areas in my home for my boys to have their space to work work which by the way they were super excited about they thought it was wonderful never once did they say to me especially my older one who had already been to kindergarten what are we doing i want to go back he just he was happy to be at home and happy to do the lessons and of course we were so involved in our church and we were involved in all kinds of things in our community so you know when people would say all those <laughs> questions about socialization or or they're missing out I think they're not missing out because we we don't miss out on life. We're very involved in our church and in our community and you know we weren't the type of people who were sitting around being hermits. We were super involved. This was just a way that we could be involved together and that we would be teaching our children um, along the way. So that was kind of our journey of how we started. I do remember being a little bit nervous telling my family, and in hindsight, I think, I don't know why I was nervous about that, because um, I guess because it was kind of an anomaly. Nobody was doing it. It seemed kind of weird at the time. But none of our family um, said anything negative about it. If they thought it, 
or if they talked about it among themselves, we didn't get wind of it. Um, so I was very thankful for that, and I was encouraged with that as well. So w- that's what we did. That's the way we started. Now, there were plenty of times over the years I wasn't sure what direction to go in. I wasn't sure what kind of curriculum I should use. There were times when um, I thought, this child's not getting it. What am I doing? Am I going to mess them up? There are all kinds of things that you think when you start homeschooling your children. But But because I had read that particular book, Homestyle Teaching, it was such an encouraging book. It was such a come alongside, you can do this kind of book. And it also, the thing I love the most about it is it it really helped me see that homeschooling as a way of life, of using every opportunity to teach your children and to help them learn. And one of the things that I learned early on was to get... you know, a scope and sequence. And of course, when I started homeschooling, there were no helps. There were no internet classes. There was no online anything. There there was, there was just nothing except real books, real encyclopedias, you know, curriculum that you ordered or you went to a curriculum fair and you bought it. Um, but I learned how to, if I had a good scope and sequence and I knew what my kids needed to know at their age level and grade level, then I could use so many different kinds of books and methods to accomplish those things. Um, but I did actually buy curriculum through the Moore Foundation and and other things, but it just helped me know how to use that and how to make learning a way of life. Because early on, too, I just wanted my kids to love to learn. I wanted them to love to hear books read to them. I wanted them to see a lot of things as a as a game. And I purchased a lot of things that made, um, you know, learning the multiplication tables fun. I did all kinds of um, creative things with my kids when they were young. Sometimes when it's like, you know, there were times it's like, I don't even think they knew how much they were learning just because of the the methods, the different methods I was using. Now, there obviously there came a time when they would push up against it and they didn't like certain things and they didn't want to do it and all that kind of stuff. That's part, that's just part of life. But, um, but for the most part, especially in the elementary years, it was just so much fun and I don't regret one moment of it. And I loved, I just loved it. Um, you know, Micah chapter six, verse eight, um, the, the verse says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And if you understand the context of that, you know that Micah was telling the people that God wanted their hearts. He didn't want just a show from them. And when God has a woman's heart, when he really has it, God can use her to make such a huge difference in her family's life. And I understood that, and I wanted to grow in my understanding of that. And I was learning that homeschooling was not uh, really um, just another educational alternative for me it was never like that it was it was it just became a lifestyle because i wanted to be involved in my children's learning and of course the words by the prophet micah were written after micah had told the people that judgment was going to come to the nation because of the people's sins and then the beginning of that book micah lamented over the sins of god's people like jeremiah his heart was broken for his nation he called for the people to mourn over their sin as he preached about the sins of the people and the sins of the false prophets. In his first message, he was telling the people that judgment was coming. Well, who wants to hear that? 
But Micah continued preaching, and as he preached, you see him telling the people that God's blessing would follow God's judgment, but only as their hearts got right before the Lord. And of course, if you know the book, God then gives this searing indictment of sin, and it's in this indictment um, that you know responded for the nation. It's in that indictment that he is pleading with God's people. Micah knew that if the people would do justice, that's that verse, do justice, if they would love kindness, and if they will walk humbly with their God, God's blessings would follow. God wanted their hearts, not just their outward signs that they had some kind of religion. He really wanted their hearts. And it would be so great if people would hear God's word, repent of their sin, trust Christ, and then walk with him, obeying everything that God points out as soon as he points it out. But we all know that people don't really do that. But that was the plea of Micah and so many other prophets. They knew the truth. They somehow saw the big picture. They knew their God, and they wanted to warn the people. They really pleaded their hearts out hearts out. Micah was telling the people that they were self-centered and self-absorbed. He was trying to wake them up out of their complacency. He was pleading with them, but issuing that plea wasn't as simple as it might seem. Micah had to like hammer home God's judgment because of sin. And he does that in the rest of chapter six. And then he pleads with the Lord on behalf of the people. And like so many men of God who have um, been criticized over the years and spoken against, this particular great man of God, Micah, pleaded with God on the people's behalf. And that's what great shepherds do today. They plead with God on the people's behalf. And one of his prayers was that God would again shepherd his people. Shepherd your people, he said. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession. And of course, we all know that that's one of our greatest needs today. And it's for God to raise up shepherds, godly men who will shepherd the people of God and tell them what they need to hear for their good, whether the people appreciate it or not. We see that with the prophets in the Old Testament. We see that with um, when Paul is writing his letters to the pastors in the New Testament, that he's encouraging them and telling them to to speak and teach and exhort with all authority and not let the people disregard them. Because shepherds, God's pastors, who will tell us what is good, who will tell us what the Lord requires of us, who will be bold enough to plead with us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God, we need those kinds of shepherds. And of course, you might be wondering, why am I even talking about that? Well, I mean, what does it mean for us as, you know, as a homeschooling mom? Or what did it mean for me as a homeschooling mom to walk humbly with God? You know, I homeschooled for a long time. You know, I homeschooled all my children. And um, my children, you know, my oldest child is 40 years old now. And so we began that journey, as I shared in the beginning, in his first grade year. And, um, and you know, I have five children. And... Um, But here's the thing, through all those years, God continually reminded me that it was in the quiet, mundane things of life, those are the things that really mattered. He also reminded me that although I knew that, and although I 
have always taught and I've believed with all my heart that something like mothering and then on top of that homeschooling is one of the most significant things a woman can do. It's also one of the most humbling things a woman can do. I mean, that's that plea of Micah, walk humbly with your God. So it's a very humbling thing to do just just mundane tasks that no one knows and no one sees and no one, your name's not out there. And, you know, as we all know, women today seem to want their names out there. But here's the thing. Why is it such a humbling thing? Well, of course, it's humbling because we clean messes that we don't make. We care for other people's illnesses, not just our own, but other people's. We care for the intimate needs of people. Sometimes we're lying on the floor cleaning toilets and we sweep up dirt that we did not personally bring in. We wash clothes that we do not wear. We clean the throw up, whether it's thrown up by people or animals. All that spit up, we wipe bottoms, we <laughs> we lose sleep at night with sick children, children who are afraid, husbands who may might not <coughs> excuse me, be able to sleep. And we do all these things. Well, we do them just because we do them, because they need to be done. And it's humbling to do those kinds of things. But here's the thing about the Lord. God promises to revive the spirit of the humble. I mean, listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I mean, I think about that. I mean, isn't that just a great promise? When I do the most humble things, when I recognize that I am not too good to do those most humble things, God is the one who revives my spirit. He revives my heart. And it doesn't really get much better than that. I mean, God knows that all of us have a problem with pride. Sometimes even as home, you know, as, as women who are homeschooling, it can become a pride issue for us. My way is best. You know, the way I do it, my methods, you know, we compare ourselves to other people say, well, they're not doing a very good job or they ought to do it like this. Or because I have decided to homeschool, I'm better than other women who aren't homeschooling. That's pride. You know, so often we think we're better than we are, that we deserve more than we get. And we often think that we are treated unfairly. Again, that's pride. And God knows all about putting our... The, our tendency to want to put ourselves first, to say we're better than other people, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and you know, and, and about our tendency just to look out for what's best for us. Even all of us, to some extent, have a narcissistic tendency to only think about ourselves. God knows that. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable, and the reason he teaches this parable is to teach the people about humility. Verse 7 says, and he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how (laughs) they had been picking out the places of honor at the table and saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man. 
And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted." Now, see, so many of us, we really don't want to be humble. We often do not want to take the role of the servant. We take it, but we don't want to take it. And then even in our taking it, we still want the place of honor. And of course, we all know that for so many years in America, women have demanded the place of honor. I mean, that's what it's been all about. It's been all about the women. Celebrate the women. Women can do no wrong. The men are the problem. Everyone else is the problem. But women, you know, we're just the greatest. I mean, we're the greatest, and we want to be noticed. So being a wife, I'm think about it for a second. Being a wife, being at home, raising our children, and then, of course, on top of that, homeschooling our children, it's not noticed. It offers no immediate rewards from the world. Even taking care of aging, sick parents offers no rewards. But God wants us to do it, and He notices. He remembers I mean, how much better if we do what God has called us to do and let him say at the appointed time, friend, move up higher. But it's humbling because, you know, as you, as, as you teach your daughters, if you have daughters, you should teach them that humble service is noble service. We spend most of our lives in hum- humble service. And when we do, we are most like Jesus. He spent most of his earthly life in humble service. He cleaned messes he didn't make for sure. He healed and touched people who were dirty and gross. In fact, when you really think about the fact that God the Son left all the glory of heaven to become a man, to be, the, to be first an embryo in a woman's womb, to go through the birthing process, then to be a little child, to be brought up by two sinful parents, to be baptized by a sinful man, to be tempted in the desert by the devil himself, to go without food, to be beaten, despised, rejected, homeless, spoken against, lied about, slandered, abused, criticized unjustly, and then to be stripped naked, then to be hung on a cross, dripping blood, when at any moment, think about it, at any moment he could have stopped it all because he was God. When I think that he did all of that for me, so that I wouldn't have to die in my own rotten sin. For, and he did this for God's glory. How can I demand the place of honor? But you know what God's word says. Remember Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, from Isaiah 57. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. In Job chapter 5, verse 14, so that he sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Luke 1, 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. 
First Peter 5, verse 5 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. You know, I've been married for almost 42 years. I've been a mother now for over 40 years. I'm a mother-in-law for 18 years and a grandmother for over 16 years. And I want to tell you something, because God has renewed my mind about what's really important in this life. I have loved and continue to love being a wife and a mother. God has called me to these roles, and now I love being a grandmother. And here's the thing. Yeah, I have that college degree, and I'm thankful that I have it. God used those years that I was in college and all that I learned about Him and about life and about people and in my classes and health in my home, working there, pouring my energies and my intelligence there. But I've been content working at home, tending my own garden, teaching my own children, and now having a part in teaching my grandchildren loving my husband. I mean, I have loved taking care of my home. I've loved my husband, still do, and my children. I love their spouses and my grandchildren. But God's also given me a love for those outside of my immediate sphere. Yeah, I want so much for children to grow up in homes where their mama loves their father and loves them. I want children who I don't even know to grow up where mama learns to be sensible and pure and kind and who loves making a home for them, who loves taking care of them, who loves teaching and spending time with them, where the mama voluntarily submits to her husband's leadership and doesn't try to boss him around and respects him as a man where that mama knows the Lord, who is the only perfect one, the only one who can meet her needs and make her this kind of woman. You know, um, Paul told um, the women in Titus chapter 2, these verses, I mean, this is, and, and and those who listen to me very often know what these verses say, but he says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God will not be dishonored. I mean, y'all, this is the heartbeat that God has for his women, not just in these verses, but you see this all over the word of God. And whether women are married or not, whether they have children or not, this is still his message for all women. Because here's the thing, you know, when I was a young new mother in my 20s and then in my 30s, I saw and felt the vacuum of older women in the church who were too busy or maybe too entangled in this world or too preoccupied or just plain unwilling to fulfill this God-given mandate. I mean, think about it. Sometimes sometimes I think about this. You know, what would it be like if every um, believing wife in America made it one of her personal goals to love her husband biblically, to learn what the Scripture says, and then to actually obey what the Scripture says in this area? You know, a wife who really did respect her husband and showed that to him, a wife who really did love him and and who would forgive him and realize that, that she's a sinner and he is a sinner, but would make it her personal goal to live for God's glory and to carry out what God says she ought to do as a wife. 
I mean, think about it. Women who would focus on loving their husbands more and less wondering if he's showing enough love to them. I mean, what would it be like if every mother, and I'm talking about believing mothers, believing mothers in America, made it one of her personal goals to love her children the way God says, biblically? Women who first wanted the children that God gave her and then poured her very life into them and didn't complain about them and didn't see them like, you know, inconveniences or burdens or just someone to like, oh, heave a sigh and say, I can't believe they're fighting again. Well, they're fighting again because they're sinners and they need someone to train them and help them and teach them. And just like we fight again because we're sinners, we have to be trained and we have to be taught and we have to be brought along in the faith. I mean, what would it be like if every believing woman in America made it her personal goal to be sensible, just to have some common sense about life and not to fly off the handle and not to follow every fad that's out there, not to be captivated by, you know, false teaching and wanting to have their ears tickled? Or what if every believing woman in America made it her goal to be pure, not just outwardly, but inwardly, where she stopped fantasizing about men who are not her husband, or she stopped watching garbage that, whether it's in the movies or wherever she watches it, or she stops reading books that aren't going to help her focus on the Lord, but are turning her heart away from the Lord. You know, what if every believing woman in America decided, you know what, I'm going to pour all of my working energies into my home and into my family. That's where I'm going to give the best hours of my day. I'm not going to be distracted by by spending the best hours of my day outside of my home. No, I'm going to do it inside of my home, and I'm going to look well, as Proverbs 31 says, to the ways of my household. That's going to be my goal. That's going to be my focus. I want to make my house a home, and I want it to be a haven for everyone who comes there, and I want my husband and my children to know that this is a home that I love and I love taking care of them in it. What if every woman in America made it her, and I'm talking about, again, believing women, made it her personal goal to be kind, to be kind, just to simply be kind as she carries out her duties. And to, and then, of course, to be subject to her own husband. What would it look like in this country if just the believing women did this. And if the believing women weren't always saying, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. And you know what? God didn't really say that. And you know what? I mean, yeah, God says be a worker at home, but I can do that however I want. And I can spend more time outside of my home. And I don't want the church telling me anything. And I don't want God telling me anything. No, I'm going to do my own thing. No, 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 no. I mean, what if I mean, you ask those kind of questions, and I think about it sometimes, and I remember sometimes thinking, well, what if no other woman in the whole world, believing woman, wanted to obey God? Could I? Would I? What would my home be like if I really loved my husband, if I really loved my children, if I really were sensible, made it my goal, if I was pure, if I poured my energies and, and I was a worker in my own home, if I was kind, and if I was subject to my own husband. I mean, that became kind of a challenge for me as a young woman, because I just wanted to obey God. I wanted to know what His Word said. I didn't want to argue with what His Word said. I wanted to know what it said. Sometimes I just felt like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Please show me how to obey you. 
And as we obey God, our lives will end up being shining lights in this dark, dark world. Because as a nation, and even as a church, we've wandered so far from the Lord. We've lost our way. But God always calls us back. He always raises up shepherds who will call out to the flock and say, turn back, turn back. And we as women should be those kind of women that we will turn back to the role that he's assigned to us so that his word will not be dishonored. Now, the Apostle Paul penned these words to the believers in, in Corinth. He said this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I mean, just think about that that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Do you live for yourself? Do I live for myself? Or do I live for him who died and rose again on my behalf? He continues, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about those verses, just if you're a mom raising your children, and if you if you have opportunity to spend time with them, that you become uh, the you you have the ministry of reconciling of reconciliation. That you as 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 you, that God uses you, Christ reconciling the world to Himself through you, you having that ministry of reconciliation, making an appeal to your children as they see you live out godly principles in your home and they get to spend enough time with you to see real life being lived out. And then you have that ministry to help them become reconciled to God. Just like Micah and all the great prophets before him, Paul makes no apologies in begging and pleading with people to be reconciled to God, to live lives of holiness before him. And like Paul, you know, as I was raising my children, I wanted God to use me to beg them as though God were making an appeal through me for them to be reconciled to God. You know, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And again, uh, this will be the third time I've shared this verse with you on this podcast. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I mean, don't you want him to revive your heart? Don't you want him to do that? And he does that so often through the humble, quiet years of doing the next thing, of loving a husband, of loving children, of teaching children, of training children in righteousness, cleaning messes, instructing, 
you know, doing multiplication tables, telling them again and again and again the next thing they need to do, helping them with cursive, you know, facing trials, you know, the seasons of small children and small meals and small things, a season of first things first, building into little lives, little things like rescuing a baby duck or finding dead birds in the yard, talking about spider webs and baby raccoons, getting a bug box so that they can find lizards and learn about them, reading inspiring stories, making the baby laugh. And then letting a baby cry and remembering that no one needs to be upset but the baby. Sending a pouty child to be alone to work out his emotions. Requiring children to finish their lessons. Helping them learn how to focus. Telling them, I don't want you to grow up to be dumb, so you have to do this. I don't want you to grow up and be lazy. You're going to have to get your exercise. You're going to have to do these chores. I want you to be an asset in this world. You need to eat well. You need to play hard. You need to serve. You need to give. You need to work. And I need to teach God's truth to you in our family. And and we're going to be involved in the family of God. We're going to be with God's people on Sunday. And we're going to care about other children in our neighborhood and those children who God brings to Bible school. You know, we don't need to be the kind of women that don't value the small things in life. I mean, it seems like sometimes people and women in particular no longer value humble service, simple things, the power of living a quiet life of obedience to God in the everyday moments of life. Because y'all, little people grow up I mean, they grow up and they're not in your home anymore and you only have a window of time. I used to remind myself of that all the time with my kids. I only have a window of time. And then that, then as they grow, that window gets, you know, closer and closer to being shut. And it's not that you don't have an influence and you're not a part of your children's lives once they leave your home, but the quality of that, so much of that depends on what you did when that window was wide open and you were opening the world to them and teaching them what they needed to know. What's more important than that? I mean, really? I mean, you know, long time ago when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they chose to disobey him in what they perceived to be a small thing, just a small thing, you know, the evil one convinced Eve that it was no big deal to sin against God. It was just a little bite, but it was a big deal. It was the biggest deal of her life, even though it seems small, just a bite of a piece of fruit. Come on, how big can that be? But it was, and both she and Adam made this huge mess. But God didn't give up on them. I mean, that's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of reconciliation. That's redemption. In fact, he set out to clean up a mess he didn't make. He sent his son, his son Jesus. And the scripture tells us that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
I mean, what an opportunity we have the day in which we're living when it seems to be so dark around us. God gives us the opportunity still to speak his word. And the first place he gives us that opportunity is right in our own homes. We shouldn't be wasting that. We should be using it the best way we know how and asking God for his his help. Because if we know him, then we have the power, not in ourselves, but in him, we have the power to love our husbands and our children. We have the power to be sensible and pure and kind, and even to submit graciously to our husbands. We have the power to show the world a different way to show them God's way. And then in doing those things, we're bringing great honor to the word of God. And when we do them through our homes and beyond our homes by our very lives, we bring that honor to the word of God. It's not bringing honor to us. It's bringing honor to the Lord. We're bringing glory to him and his name. But we have to open our eyes to the heart of God. We have to have hearts so that we can see the needs in our homes and in our world. And it was all those years ago, you know, when God set me on that path of homeschooling my children, I never knew how much God was going to teach me and teach our family through that process. I never understood how that would be the training ground to to drive me to the the to the heart of God in his word because you know what it did for me it helped me realize that I couldn't do it on my own it helped me realize the the way and understand the way Solomon felt when he prayed and said I don't know what I'm doing you know I've got all these people you've called me to lead and I'm like a kid I don't know how to go out I don't know how to come in and these are there's so many people I need your help I need your wisdom And that's what God did for me all those years ago. And I can't take credit for anything. It's only the Lord. All I know when sometimes people ask me how we did it, the one thing that stands out more than anything is just that God is faithful. If he calls you to do something, he's going to help you do it. And he's going to equip you to do it. He's going to strongly support you as you do it. And, and he's shown you what you should do. You need just need to walk humbly with him and trust him to work in you and through you. And yes, even in spite of you. Father, as we close out this podcast today, I pray that you've, you'll use what I've shared as an encouragement to women who are listening, whether they're homeschooling or not. But Father, I pray that if they are homeschooling, that you would give them the courage and the grace to do what you've called them to do. Help them, Father. Help their children. And help us to be women who serve you and love you with our whole hearts and obey the things that you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering from the Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.